The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. This is one of the most amazing stories that I've ever heard in my entire life. It's a personal personal testimony by Rabbi Eli Silverstein, the Chabad Shliach of the college campus in Ithaca, New York. And the lessons from this is just really unreal, unbelievable. Shows us the authentic Torah approach on how to deal with someone who goes off the derech and the long distance victory that could happen even many years later. A non-religious woman in her 90s named Sandra Brand. By the way, she's an author of many books. You can buy the books. I bought a book. Um, Good people, bad people, something like that. Sandra Brand. She decided to donate money that she had to purchase old Sifrei Torah, Sifrei Torah in English, that were no longer in use and refurbish them and donate them to college campuses around the United States, which have special munyanim for students who have minimal connection to Yiddishkeit. So he says, Rabbi Silverstein says, at that time I didn't have a Sefer Torah yet, I needed one, so I called her up. When I called her, she spoke a fluent Yiddish, and when I asked how she had such a flasik, a Galician, a Yiddish, she surprised me by telling me that she was from a town in Galicia. She grew up in the home of Belzer Hasidim. I was curious, and I asked her why she spent significant resources donating Sefer Torah to Chabad campuses, and she told me her incredible story. This is the tor- story of Sandra Brand. She told him, my father, Reblazer Brand, was a big contractor. He had become very wealthy, building asphalt roads for the Polish government. He was an Erlich Hayid and a passionate and prominent Belza Chassid. He was a big supporter of Belza institutions, Belza Meistis, and the Belza Rebbe, Rev Aaron. My older sisters all married Chashev of Belza Yungalite, who he supported while they learned Tyra. They were from Chassidish Erlich. And, and the family was considered a very chashava, important family in the community. I was a teenager, and I wanted to be more free than the insular lifestyle that my family lived. And somehow I became friends with a non-religious boy who came from a non-religious home. He was so far removed from Yiddishkeit that he didn't even speak Yiddish. And in Poland, even non-from Yidden spoke Yiddish. It was That was the, the language... <laughs> right, and was only completely assimilated Yidin that didn't speak Yiddish. So that's how far away this boy was from a family that had any connection to uh, to religion. He was so far away. And of course, I didn't dare tell my parents that I befriended him, but our relationship grew very close to the point where we decided to get married. I couldn't do this in my hometown because I knew that my father would object, and I knew that the rabbis, the rabbanim from Bells in my hometown, would would uh, would never agree to marry me off against my father's wishes. So, listen to this girl, young girl, in her teens. I secretly traveled to another city, where we found a rav who was willing to marry us. Interesting, even though they're not from, they wanted to be married halachically. After the wedding, I came back home and continued living at home, single, just as before, never telling my parents that I was actually married. I would sneak out of the house to spend time with my husband until I finally realized that I just couldn't continue like this and I worked up the courage to tell my parents the truth. When I broke the news of my marriage at the age of 18 to a not-religious boy, they were extremely upset and they said they were throwing me immediately out of the house and they didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. My worst fears came true because I really didn't want to lose my family. At that time, my father was facing a very serious court case against a Polish uh, guy who also had a business building roads for the government. He was very jealous of my father who did a much finer job 
and was receiving most of the contracts. So he decided to inform the government that my father was doing something illegal and used this opportunity to get my father into a lot of trouble. He hoped that since my father was a Jew, the government would easily rule against him, thus taking care of his competition once and for all. The government geared up for a fierce prosecution, created serious charges against my father, and my father was facing the prospect of losing all of his money and having to spend years in prison. So he decided to go to the Belzer Rebbe, Rebbe Arn the previous Belzer Rebbe known as Rebbe or the Maharash. When I heard that my father was going to the Belzer Rebbe, I immediately asked my father to go along with him. My father asked me, why would I want to come along to the Rebbe? And I explained, if you're going to ask the Rebbe about your huge business problem, if you trust him for that, then why don't you at least ask him about the fact that you want to cut your daughter out of your life? My father replied that there's no reason to ask the Rebbe about this issue since it's obvious that the Rebbe was surely of the opinion that there's no place for such behavior in a from Yiddish home. I argued, she said, that I want to hear this directly from the Rebbe. And finally, my father agreed to take me. My father agreed to take me along on the trip, certain that the Rebbe would agree with him. So we traveled to the Rebbe together. First, my father discussed his troubles with the Gaisha competitor, and he told him the whole story of the impending court case and the fear and the anxiety of losing all his money and being thrown in jail. This is very interesting. The Rebbe closed his eyes and put his head down for a few moments. A few moments. And then he advised my father what to do. He advised my father to offer the troublemaker a shutfis, a partnership, in exchange for dropping all the charges, and they'll be 50-50. My father was shocked at the idea of partnering with this guy who was his enemy, who didn't do a good job, didn't know how to run a business, and now he would have to give half his income away to this guy? The Rebbe responded, Halb is better vigunished. Half is better than nothing. Parenthetically, this plan actually ended up working very good. The guy agreed to the idea. He dropped the charges. He became my father's partner. And he says, she says, my father received many more contracts of people who didn't want to do business with a Jew, but now they saw the Polish name on the stationery as a partner, so they got a lot more business from people who, did, who discriminated against the Yidden. And they ended up getting a lot more contracts. My father did the work much better. And half of the profits that my father got was a lot more than he even made in the past. So this was great advice from Rabbi Arla, the Belzerebbe. Then my father told the Rebbe the story about me. His daughter, who slipped away from Yiddishkeit, went off the derech, secretly married an irreligious boy, God forbid, and how he wanted to throw me out of his life. Bells in general is very insular, and the idea that someone would do such a thing in Bells in the old country, in any old country, to do such a thing, go off the derech, pick up a, meet up with a, with a guy, not religious at all, get married without telling your parents is outrageous. Especially in those days, it was so foreign that it was obvious to my father that the Rebbe would tell him to throw me out and cut me off. Once again, the Heilige Rebbe, Rebbe Bells, closed his eyes and lowered his head deep in thought. But this time, it was for about 10 minutes. When it came to the huge problem of losing all his money and going to jail, the Rebbe closed his eyes and put his head down for a few seconds. Now he put his head down, lowered his, closed his eyes, lowered his head deep in thought for about 10 minutes. We anxiously waited and waited 
until finally he raised his head and asked my father, she had a chuppah kedushin according to halacha? She got married according to the Jewish way? My father said yes. Said the Baron, in that case you should take her in, take her and him into your house and support them just like you support all your other sons-in-law. The same nadin, the same support. All those tamidah chachamim, the kailingalite, take him and treat him exactly the same way and treat him like family. This was exactly the opposite of what my father expected to hear. And this was in the 1920s, not the 2020s. And the Belzerov was a tzaddik with incredible foresight and he saved my life, she said. My father, a blazer, was shocked. He barely managed to stutter his objection. He said, but, but I don't, I don't want him to be in my family. He's so far removed from, from everything that we know. He's removed from Yiddish guy. Yiddish, he told the rabbi. He doesn't, she doesn't even speak Yiddish. Which means that, like, he's so far from the way. What, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to embrace him? The rabbi repeated himself. Take him in. Be nice to him. Draw him close to you. Treat him like all your other sons-in-law. Support him. And treat him like your own family. My father was totally shocked, but as a good chassid, he followed exactly what his Rebbe instructed him. He invited this young man, who he never met, into his house, his son-in-law. It was hard for him, but he did it. And he supported us and treated us like all of his other children. I had my family back, due to the advice of the Belzer Rebbe Rebbe. After this, the war broke out. My parents, my family, Nebuch, were all killed. Akidush Hashem as were my husband and our five-year-old son. So a few years later, the war broke out. The woman continued, After the war, I came to America and I married a traditional, but not from Jewish lawyer. I once came to Eretz Yisrael, and I went to visit the Belzer Rebbe, and as soon as I walked in, he immediately recognized me, and he said, Ah, Rebbe Brand's Zatachter, Rebbe Brand's daughter. He recognized her right away from before the war. She was not religious. He spoke to me very warmly, about his memories of my father who was killed by the Nazis. I was so touched by his warmth directed at me, in spite of my non-conformance to a religious lifestyle, he treated me like I was one of them. So first, Rabbi Aaron Abels told the father, you treat her and whoever she's connected to like family, and now after her family was killed, he again treated her like family, even though he was very religious and she was not. As I have gotten older, I began to feel guilty about the pain and suffering that I caused my parents, and I always remembered that the Belzareb made sure that I wasn't thrown out, despite the fact that I wasn't behaving like a good from girl. So I decided that I will do everything that I can to help those who are helpful to other Jews who are not behaving properly as well. I was fortunate to make a lot of money, and even though I am still, I am very old, I still travel around to find good Yidden who love those who are not from unconditionally and bring them closer to Judaism with love and warmth. That is where I want my money to go. Which means even though she was not religious, she wanted to support Maistis like Chabad and like other places that would make people want to be from. She wasn't anti-from. Why not? Because her father and mother and family didn't reject her. So they didn't create an enemy. But Rabbi Aaron didn't reject her. They, they brought her in. So even though she didn't have the schus, the merit to live the lifestyle that she really believed in deep down, but she was okay 
to support those who are being Makarov and help them be Makarov, other Jews who are far away. So I donate Sifrei Torah specifically to these places where Yiddishkeit is sparse, and I have the names of my parents embroidered onto the mantle, onto the cover of each Sefer Torah, each Sefer Torah, in their memory. Amazing story, but the story doesn't end here. Over the years, says the Chabad Shliach, I kept in touch with her just to see how she was doing, and I even went to visit her. When she was 96 years old, I was sitting with her on one of my visits, and I took the opportunity, since I was very close to her all these years, to say something very daring. I told her, Sandra, it's certainly so nice that you're assisting outreach centers by donating Sifrei Torah in your parents' memory and helping unaffiliated Jews work their way back to their roots. But I'm sure that your parents in Gan Eden would be overjoyed if they would see you also come back in a significant way to Yiddishkeit. So while it's nice to do for others, perhaps you should do something for yourself. And he was only able to do this because he was so close to her. She responded positively. This is a shock. And she said, sure, I would love to. But what should I start? How do I start? So I told her, the Chabad Shliach says, I told her, start with just one easy thing. Say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elekeinu, Hashem Echad, every day, and you'll be makabel Omal Choshemaim. You accept Hashem's sovereignty over the world. And that will be a great step. She responded, Okay, good, but let's do it now. So here I was, sitting with an elderly woman who was not from for about 80 years of her life. And right then and there, we said together the holy words, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu, Hashem Echad, together. She told me she wants to start saying it every morning, when she, as soon as she wakes up. So I showed her the how to wash her hands properly, Nagel Vasar, Netilat Yadayim, right? And she decided that as soon as she wakes up every morning, the first thing she will do is wash her hands properly, and then she will be makabel ol malchus shemayim, saying these holy words, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu Hashem Echad. Two weeks later, she passed away. And she was buried back in Bells, in the Bells of Chalka in Israel. They allowed her to be buried over there. So after everything she went through, she merited to return back to her roots by accepting Om Malchus Shemayim. Back to her beloved community of Bells, they buried her together with all the Bells of Hasidim in Israel. The community of Bells that never rejected her, not before the war, and not when she went back to visit the Rebbe after the war and back to her beloved parents in Gan Eden. What an amazing story. There are two, at least two, practical life lessons to this incredible story. Number one, if her parents would have thrown her out of home, in the name of Torah, in the name of their religious values, would this miracle be possible to happen? Imagine they would have thrown her out, and then if she would have been who knows what, and then a few years later they would have been killed in the Holocaust. She would have been, it, it just, it never would have happened. Her tshuva was me'ahava, from their love and their acceptance that they fully supported her in spite of the fact that she was not behaving the way that they wanted her to. That's why this miracle happened. Her parents, her family, they all had to listen to the Rebbe, her community, and directly, since it was directly from the top, representing Hashem, the leaders of the community, when they reject, they're... To the kids, it's God's rejecting me. The Torah is rejecting me. 
The leaders are like Moshe Rabbeinu. Over here, the leader of her life, of her family's life, her Torah leader was the Belzer Rebbe. And he was the one who gave clear direction, fully support them, regardless of their behavior, just like all the other boys, the other son-in-laws. So we see that even though it, t- it took a lot of time, and they did not merit to see her return in their lifetime. But this is the authentic Torah approach to dealing with this kind of painful situation. Even if you don't agree to their behavior, you never reject, you never push away, you completely support and envelop them with your love and your warmth and your acceptance. This has always been the authentic Torah approach. Number two, while we want our children to merit living a from life of Torah and mitzvahs, we must remember that the main thing is that we want them to end up in Gan Eden for eternity. How, however long we live is, is a tiny blip compared to eternity. So we have a beautiful religion that allows someone to become a Balchuva even two weeks before they die, even at the last moments of their life. To be makabal al-machashamayim, to say, I, I accept that you run the world, to say, I'm sorry to Hashem. And then Hashem appreciates when those who are far away return to Him, and you do tshuva me'ahava, all the averis become mitzvahs. So as long as the candle burns, there is always hope. The main job, the main thing for parents to do, and the family, and the community, is to make sure that the memory that they have of us is going to be the memory of love, and acceptance and support with no rejection to make sure that when they think of us in 50 years, in 60 years, in 80 years from now, that that the memory that they have of their parents and their family and their community will warm their heart to allow them to come back whenever it's possible for them. Undoubtedly, cannot even think differently. It's without a doubt that it is the admiration that Sandra felt for her parents who agreed to support her financially and emotionally, even though she caused them so much pain, anguish, grief, embarrassment, and her community that never abandoned her, even after she abandoned their religious values, and her holy leader who stood up for her and taught the family and showered her with unconditional acceptance, that that is what encouraged her to take proactive steps to help those spreading the light of Yiddishkeit during her life and ultimately saved her eternal afterlife. As Rav Shamsha Mufal Hirsch says, Rak mashmois hanoivas mi regesh kovoid klapayamatsova, toil gamberichuk mokoim menamatsova. Only compliance, when your children listen and they comply, only compliance that emanates, that is noivas, that emanates from the warm feelings of admiration towards the authority, will help to influence the child even when they are far away from the person commanding them who wants them to behave a certain way. Even Even when you're separated by time, by space, and even by life and death. That is our goal that the memory that our children should have of us, of their uncles, their aunts, their grandparents, their rabbis, the community, should warm their hearts. The memory that they have of us needs to be, we love you, we're here for you, we support you, we don't reject you, no matter how they behave. This is authentic Torah parenting.
enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. StoriesToInspire.org